Cardinals end their two-game losing streak with a resounding 24-point win over Syracuse tonight. Welcome to the Syracuse Basketball Podcast. How's that? <laughs> Syracuse is one in five over its last six, and that's all you need to know. Uh, the season has really just hit a tailspin downward, and watching those first five minutes against Louisville, the five turnovers, Sadibe again just hopping on somebody's back, chasing an offensive. Rebound. It was much of the same that we've seen throughout this awful stretch recently. But add in those turnovers that Joe Girard was throwing away, and it really looked like this one was going to be the night where things finally went off the rails for the season. And we are there. One in five, as I said, a blowout loss at Louisville. Really, this team's last chance to get a marquee win in this season. Uh, as much as I've been happy and excited about the proposition of an open ACC, I don't see a big run in them the way they're playing now. Those tendencies that they've shown have exacerbated late in the season. And here we are with a team that's on the verge of falling the 500 on the season again, much like where they were earlier this year. Here we are. Uh, is one in five over the last, one in five over the last, over the last six games? That's good, right? <laughs> oh, it's not. Oh, my uh, yeah, we uh, we were gonna bring a, a kindergartner on the show tonight to see if uh, you know they could they could point to the zone and see where where Syracuse is going wrong and see if they could do it better than Synergy. Uh, but we couldn't find a kindergartner for the show tonight, so it's just me and Bobby. Uh, we're gonna bring on Jake Wine. Is it Weingarten? Yeah, is that how you say it, Bobby? Uh huh. We're gonna bring him on at the end of the show. Uh, we're gonna get into it, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Bobby Syracuse one in five over the last six games. Uh, NCAA tournament hopes are completely out the window, uh, barring you know a run to the ACC tournament title game, and Syracuse winning out. I don't think they can get there. Um, they're they're probably in a position where they're going to have to win the ACC tournament, and you know I don't, I don't think we've seen anything out of Syracuse that would suggest that they can do that. So it's it's looking like an NIT year. Um, I, I really don't see a scenario in which they we, we haven't seen anything out of Syracuse that would you know, suggest, at least in my opinion, that, you know, they can win the ACC tournament or make a run there. They, they haven't really been, other than the Florida State game, um, they haven't been totally competitive. I mean, the Duke game at home somewhat, but just against better opponents this year, I think I do kind of agree with Jim that they're, they're just not that good. And it's not for a lack of effort. Uh, it's not for a lack of will or anything like that, but they're just not that good this year. And it's been, been tough sledding, especially over the last six. All right, let's do agree, disagree when it comes to those 13 minutes of, at times, a little unhinged rants from Jim Beheim, But overall, not out of line with how this team's played this year. I think a lot of truth came early in that press conference. And then once he made the mistake that Ken Palm was us, I guess. I, I guess it was us who he was referring to in that press conference you know I've written a little bit about the synergy defensive stats earlier in the season and I heard him mention it after the Virginia Tech um, game and now this time it was John of course who took another look at the defense similarly bad stats especially at the top of the zone for Gerard and Buddy Beheim. we know it's difficult like it's not exact we're not saying that this is the end-all be-all of who's to blame for the defense there's problems up and down this thing but I don't think there's any doubt at all that the guards have been a big problem when it comes to rotations from Buddy Beheim's standpoint as Kevin's talked about over and over again as we've shown on film Joe Girard gambles like crazy so the steal numbers are great on him Uh, The positioning, not as great. And these guys, we saw it against Louisville, get pulled into that center area, and they're not quick enough or long enough to get back out to shooters. So you pretty much had David Johnson and other creators for Louisville just tossing the ball to the bottom from there quite a bit to Johnson and to the top of the zone for Sutton and others who just shot right over it. And the defense just all collapsed in that second half. I think at its worst, it was a 36-16 to 16 run that Louisville went on there. And this game was over by pretty much 30 minutes, 32 minutes in. And I like the way you worded that. You know, there's a lot to, to pick out with the defense up and down. You know, I think all across the board, you know, everybody. Uh, where, where it's a bad look for Beheim and the presser is, you know, and again, there was a lot of truth. I think he did speak a lot of truth, and I did. 
the one thing I do like about Jim Beheim is that he's blunt and you don't really have to wonder where, um, you don't, you don't really have to wonder if he's saying things for the sake of saying things or getting into coach speak. Um, uh, you know, he does like the, you know, we didn't make shots that he does that thing, but he's, we know he's genuinely honest. He's, he's very, he's very open in his assessment. Um, and he's not afraid to tell you about that. So that's one thing I've come to appreciate about Jim, whereas other coaches, you know, they might be protecting a player. They might be, um, you know, protecting an interest or not being totally honest. So, I mean, that's one thing I do, you know, kind of uh, I've come to appreciate about Jim. But the thing where it becomes a bad look is where he says Ken, Ken Palm and it's synergy. And it kind of shows that he's, he's not looking at this stuff. I, we know he doesn't look at the net. He, you know, he said as much in, in uh, the ACC uh, coaches' teleconferences that he, he doesn't look at net. He doesn't look at any of that. He doesn't read anything. That's what he says. <laughs> so, so I think it, it does, um, you know, at least from, from our, uh, you know, cohort, like people in our age, you know, the 20s, 30s, younger crowd, um, it does kind of strike as a little bit out of touch. So I think that's where it becomes a bad look. And, of course, going on and mentioning the, the thing about the kindergartner and all that. Uh, but, you know, that's a that's a horse of a different color. We can get into the, the actual game, um, the Louisville game. Yeah, Louisville just kind of carved up the zone up and down. Um, you know, the guards, not necessarily the quickest up top, as we know. We've discussed that. Howard Washington got some early run. Bryson Goodine got some extended run. Um, this looked like they were trying to do a little bit something different there defensively. Uh, first half they stayed in it, and then second half it was just a complete collapse. I mean, Louisville came out, um, they put the pedal on the gas, carved up the zone, uh, got open looks, got open dunks, and they really, I mean, there was nothing that Syracuse could do right. You know, Sidibe fouled out, uh, Dolajai fouls out, Beheim's out there at center court, he's getting teed up, all, you know, this, that, and the third, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it just puts the final nail in the coffin in the tournament, hopes. There's a ton they go through from this too. Like I just I want to kind of break it down piece by piece, um, especially at the beginning because I think a lot of what he said and a lot of what we're judging his coaching job on this year has to be relative to what we expected from this team. And I don't think we expected a five-game win streak midway through the amount of improvement that we saw to that point. But we knew that January was going to be the lighter end of things. We even said preseason that that could be a spot where they might get ranked this year. Not quite, but we did see the kind of turnaround into ACC play that we thought might be possible given the schedule there. And they could have had wins against Virginia Tech and Notre Dame at the start of it too. So we really would have been talking about a team in the top five of the ACC very solidly if they were able to finish those off. Um, But agree, disagree. I think we're playing about as well as they can play given the resources we have, the players we have. I agree with that. And that's where I agree with Jim in the postgame presser is where, where he says, you know, it's not it's not for a lack of effort. It's just they're not that good. And that's the reality uh, for years and years. Well, I shouldn't say years and years, but over the last few, everybody's wanted an offense. Everybody's complained about how, you know, the offense is too much one on one. The offense isn't good. Bayham's not creative enough in the offense. Syracuse gets some good offensive players. And, you know, Buddy and Gerard, great shooters. Um, Elijah's obviously very dynamic from the forward spot. Uh, Quincy's really good on the offensive glass. You know, Marek, Syracuse is certainly better offensively with Marek at the center spot. So you get a good offense, but on the other side of the coin, we're at where we're at defensively with this team. And that's the worst defensive team in the Ken Palm era. And I think there's just a lot of limitations. It's a young team. Obviously, you know, it's an inexperienced team. We knew that coming in. Uh, but there are a lot of limitations out there defensively, and that's where I think that's that's really hurt Syracuse this year is on the defensive side of the ball. And it's not for yeah. lack of effort; they're playing hard. It's just they're not that they're not that great of a team this year. And they don't have a lot of options at guard to swap guys in and out. That's going to be different next year, especially if Jalen Carey comes back, and, and of course they had another recruit coming in at guard. You know, how Howard Washington will still be around, an option that they've used this year, but not too much. Bryson Godine has played more in recent weeks, but hasn't had a massive impact outside of that Wake Forest game. So they're going to have options to mix things up a little bit there. Um, hopefully some center help coming in next year because they don't have a lot of options there either. I mean, they're rotating in three guys who just follow like crazy, and we'll get to that, but I'll check you on this one too. Louisville didn't get away because we're tired. They didn't get away because we don't have enough guys. We have more than enough guys. I'm going to go the disagree route on this one because the stats have shown 
and we've seen visually that this team's three-point shooting drops as we go toward the later end of halves. Um, They're not able to secure as many rebounds in those periods, it looks like, to get the stops that they need. And we're really seeing again and again in the final two minutes to 90 seconds of these halves that they're getting outscored by 8 to 10 points on these quick runs that completely undermine first halves, as we saw against Duke. Um, I saw the same thing happen against Florida State. And then late in these games, like Clemson, where they're just not able to seal out the first half and the second half to get a win. You know, Bayheim said they fought hard against Clemson. I thought they were in control for most of that game, and then it just slid away in the final minute and a half to two minutes. So can guys play 40 minutes in college basketball? Absolutely. Lots of players do. This team in particular did well with it with Battle, Howard, and uh, O'Shea Brissett in 2018. But this year, with younger players... Uh, with guys who aren't as equipped to go 40 minutes, given experience, skill set, and all those other different things, it, it looks like it's having an adverse effect. Now, is there anything to mitigate that? Maybe not. And maybe they're better off just pushing these guys through and seeing what happens. But to say it has no effect, I'm just I'm not on the same page as him there. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to partially agree and partially disagree. To, to say it has no effect, I, I don't think you could, you could say that in, in totality and in um, 100% certainty. I think that you know, guys individually, they, they don't think they're tired or they, they might know that they're tired during a timeout. They might notice it, but they're just, you know, when you're on the court, you're going to play through it. You don't think you're tired. So maybe that's where that, that stems from. Um, you know, I mean, to Bayheim's point, you do get extended media timeouts. So there are a lot of breaks in between. You get the half in between. So um, some of these guys are certainly built to, you know, withstand 40 minutes when you consider all the breaks in between. But as the stats have shown, Syracuse is shooting dips in the last four minutes of each half. And I think there is something to be said about that. Um, take it, taking you know that point out, in the Louisville game, that wasn't necessarily so. Uh, you know, Buddy Beheim, he kind of found his rhythm towards the end of the first half. It looked like he was breaking out of that slump. Uh, Joe Girard knocked down a three as well. So in the Louisville game, uh, not, not exactly, um, you know, they sort of bucked that trend. And the end of the first half, the second half, I, you know, you just kind of throw that out the window. I mean, Louisville came out, they, they played great. Uh, they played with their, you know, like their hair was on fire and Syracuse just played awful throughout the entire second half. So I don't really think you can look into that one too much, but, um, yeah, I mean, down the stretch, uh, I mean, if there's any positive that you can take out, not that there's really much that you can take out, uh, Jesse Edwards played pretty well down the stretch. And I know you're talking about the centers a little bit. Uh, I think there might be a chance for, for Jesse to, to, you know, be first in the pecking order, so to speak, uh, in, the, in the center spot next year. We'll, we'll see what happens with uh, Tepe, the, the grad transfer there, and um, Sidibe coming back. But I, I think Jesse has a really bright future ahead of him. Last one. <laughs> no, no one knows, not one person, because it's how we're playing the zone at that time. We may have the center up, so if it gets down there, it's not the center's fault, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Does anybody know who's at fault in the zone? <laughs> well, it's no, but nobody truthfully does know. I don't know how Synergy does assign those responsibilities because – you know, as Beheim gave an example for, and this is where I kind of agree with him on this, is that it depends how you want to play it. So if, if they have, if the opposing team has somebody in the high post that they're not afraid to let shoot, then who's, whose fault is that? If the center is intentionally playing back because they want that guy to shoot the ball, and let's say he, he does shoot it and he makes it, who's, whose fault is that? Well, they're probably going to pin it on the center. But maybe it's the guard for not getting there and getting behind the high post and playing him there and, and kind of forcing him to drive or you know maybe maybe they want him to shoot. So how whose whose fault is that really? Is that anybody's fault? Um, conversely, on the other side, uh, if they don't want him to be up and then he drives and or you know the center does come up and he passes down low, then it's kind of on the forwards. But who do they pin? Do they pin that on the center for coming up? And you know, kind of giving up the dump, but it's really on the forward. So within a zone, it's very hard to assign responsibilities for, you know, who's who's responsible for giving up which points. Um, uh, so I, I would say that that is probably a very difficult thing to do. Man, man to man is definitely a little bit easier to understand that. But you know, how do they how do they assign that? My best guess, 
and I've talked to people that have used energy at the NBA level, and it's quite a bit more accurate at that level because it's entrenched in every team stadium and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, of course, Syracuse does not make use of it from as far as I know, but they're still able to log these games through video do the best they can to approximate closest defender. And that's basically how they're going to do these individual matchups. Like who should have been guarding this person in this spot, um, depending on the play type. So really what you get out of the guards, I'd say is, you know, who should have been defending this shot at this position on the floor. And it's much tougher with the zone because the forwards can come up and help on some of those. But when we're seeing these threes fly over the top of the zone, especially at the top of the three-point arc there, I mean, there's really just no one else that you can look at in those spots other than Buddy and Joe. And those are honestly the only shots that they're getting tagged on through most of these games. I've been looking at these throughout the season, and usually it's just tracking the three-point shots that they've allowed over the top of the zone. So that's basically all we can really judge them by when it comes to those numbers. You know, we can watch some film to get a better look at it. And all these different things are kind of just flavor for what's evident. And you know what? Who's to blame doesn't really matter because I'd say across the zone, other than maybe Marek and Quincy and Hughes on the wings there, because I think they do a decent job with help inside and out. Everybody's to blame for this defense. It's really bad. Um, We're going to get into the three big problems with this team that have just undermined them completely. But starting with the defense and ACC play, I mean, they're eighth in field goal percentage allowed. They're 14th in two-point shooting percentage allowed. Um, They've given up the most three-point attempts and three-pointers allowed in the ACC. And they rank eighth in three-point percentage and 10th in points per game, of course, out of 15 teams. So it's not like teams are just beating them up efficiency-wise. They're just able to get second-chance points, things like that, and get up enough shots over this team that they just break the defenses back and basically kill this team with volume. You know, the Orange like to play a fast pace offensively, so there's going to be more possessions, stuff like that. Um, And that doesn't bode well for the defense because, honestly, they just pile up threes. They pile up possessions. And efficiency-wise, they're good enough to take their second chances, hit the shots that they can outside and inside, and completely kill the Orange on defense. I mean, this is so much worse than 2017. We started this year comparing this to that 17 squad. That's That squad had size. They had interior presence, and they especially had uh, perimeter defense when it came to Tyus Battle and, um, you know, Andrew White wasn't the worst defender in the world either. Gillen was a little undersized, but across the board, they're undersized on this uh, roster, whether it's in girth or length on the perimeter. Yeah, two quick things with the zone. I think one, when you play the 2-3, you want other teams to take three. So Syracuse is going to give up a lot of threes regardless. Um, If they're a good defensive team, bad defensive team, they're going to give up a lot of threes. Uh, Rebounding has always been an issue out of the zone, even in Syracuse's most athletic years. Uh, Just because one, you know, as, as everybody knows, there's no blockout responsibilities within the zone. And if you're a perimeter player, it's a lot easier to run in and kind of fill in the gaps you know, in other words, you can run sort of right in between the center and the forward. And they don't do yeah. that a lot, though. They don't. It, they, I've seen it more recently, but this year they really haven't done that. Yeah, and some some teams might want to have their guys back to you know prevent the transition, so you don't want to have your guards necessarily running in there all the time and going for rebounds if you want to protect the break. Uh, but I, what I will say is this: this defense is historically bad. It is the worst in the Ken Palm era, as mentioned. Um, and this is actually Ken Palm, not Synergy. It is the worst in the Ken Palm era. <laughs> it is the worst in the Ken Palm era. Um, even in that 2017 team, you know they were ranked uh, 119th in the country in defensive efficiency. Uh, this this year's team has fallen all the way to 139. So that that's the worst. At least it you know it might be the worst in the Jim Beheim era, frankly. But uh, Ken Palm only goes back to 2002, so it's at least the worst in the Ken Palm era. Um, and, and as you've discussed, you know there's problems up and down. Uh, the guards, not as quick. Uh, Quincy has gotten better within the zone, but a lot of times he was out of place. Uh, Syracuse is obviously small in there, especially when Marek, foul, um, or excuse, when Marek plays center and Barama's in foul trouble. Barama's not necessarily a burly guy in there either. Uh, so Syracuse really has trouble with the, the physicality of some teams 
and even in the the minutes that Jesse's got, um, that's the one area that he's got to improve in as well. So there's there's a whole laundry list of issues with the zone and, and why it's been poor and why it is the way that it is. And that's been the bane of Syracuse this year, man. I mean, if they if they were a decent, even a decent defensive team, they might they might stand a chance to make the tournament. So the defense is a big issue. My number two issue on this team, and this is where I really give the coaching staff some leeway here because I honestly have no way of thinking that they haven't pressed this over and over again and it's just not getting through to the guys there. The fouling, the stupid, inexplicable, idiotic fouling on this idiotic. team. Oh, well. It's so it's so bad. It's 80 feet from the basket sometimes. Other times it's chasing offensive rebounds that they have no chance of securing. But Rama Sidibe now has fouled out of eight games in 26 contests. He's had at least four in nine straight games. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get better when they swap the other guys in there. Dolzhai's averaging 3.3 a game. He's had at least three in six straight games. He's chasing offensive rebounds and picking up a lot in those situations. And Garrier has had one foul for every 10 minutes that he's played at least three in three of the last five games. So they just can't stop following that. Defensively, offensively, in the backcourt when they're trying to guard guys who had just secured rebounds, they pick up so many fouls in those situations. And, you know, Bayheim keeps saying we just can't foul like that. And I'm sure the assistants have pressed it over and over again. They can't stop doing it, and it's going to just completely undermine them in certain games like it did against Clemson. I just don't get it. I don't know how they fix it, and it's one of the big three problems on this team at this point. Dude, Qu- Quincy's following is so impressive. He fouls at such an impressive rate. He'll come in and he'll get like two fouls in two minutes. It's incredible. Uh, he's actually been better over the past few games. He he fouled twice when he came right in the Louisville game, but I think he only had one the rest of the way. Uh, Barama has had at least four fouls in every game dating back to the first Georgia Tech matchup, except for the Boston College game when he had three. So he's had either four or five fouls in every game since then, all the way back to the beginning of December, which is also impressive. And uh, and Marek, Marek just picks up a few boneheaded ones a game too. I mean, it's kind of the way he plays. He, Outside of that, he plays such a smart game. He's crafty with his body. Uh, he kind of has to be given how slender he is. But sometimes, man, with those, those, you know, like you said, 80 feet from the basket, he's fouling there. He's going after a ball that really he shouldn't be going after. Or it's just an over-the-back play where a guy has clear box-out position and he's just trying to go right up, lean over the guy, and get, get the ball. You're not going to do that. And then sometimes on the break, too, he'll just lower the shoulder, trying to create that contact and, and go up, and he'll, he'll draw the charge. Um, so, you know, those plays, I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's something that I'm sure the coaching staff has emphasized they see it every game. It's not like they're not aware of it, uh, but yet the guys keep finding ways to, to pick up fouls and silly ones at that. Gutierrez had a great piece on the game, and he had some nice quotes from Sadive and Dolajai because, you know, they, they just don't. <laughs> this is one of those games we've covered quite a few games with him and this is one of those games that i look at and i can just picture him after saying what do i even write after a game like that and because <laughs> we've we've had so many of those games this season yes, we have. and honestly this wasn't this wasn't the most like telling piece in the world it kind of is just like all right our tournament chances are over that's pretty much where this game puts us but great quotes in here sadibe it's hard it's tough Guys are getting frustrated. I was frustrated. Dolajai. We didn't get any stops. They scored basket after basket. I don't know what it is. We're not in the right spots. We're not doing what coach is telling us. And then, um, you know, on the offensive rebounding, Dolajai had a great quote, too, about, you know, he just shouldn't be chasing some of these balls. Like, it's you're right, he says. I shouldn't have gone after those rebounds. It's mental. I want to get the ball. I should have thought about it. So it's just mental lapses that these bigs keep repeating over and over again that it seems like are taking them out of these games. Do you know how many times I've been with Goody this year and and said, what what can we even write about a game like that? (laughs) I I remember, I mean, going all the way back to the preseason NIT tournament at Barclays, and I, I remember sitting out on the court and, and, you know, I kind of said that to Goody, like, what, 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 what can we even write about a game like that? You know what I mean? Uh, and that's that's been the case all year, like the Duke game. I'm like, what do I even write? Like, I, I interviewed Jesse and got the piece up on Jesse just because 
it's it's just so hard to to cover a team like this and um yeah to your to your point i mean the fouls it's just been mental lapses it's just been you know silly mistakes and that adds up over the course of the game and as we've seen you know when marek fouls out he's such a key um i look back to the florida state game he had a plus eight and i think he he was maybe one of maybe two guys on the team that had a positive plus minus that day and uh you know his his was a plus eight which was the highest i know that for sure and when he went out in the first half with foul trouble Florida State went on a 14-4 run. And I don't know what the record is off the top of my head, but when, when Dolezal fouls out, Syracuse, more often than not, they lose. And, you know, you can go back to the Clemson game as well. If they have him down the stretch, they probably win that game. And that could have changed a lot of things for, for the season because if you go back to that Clemson game and they win that, they were firmly on the bubble then. They probably, if they win that Clemson game, they're on the right side of that bubble. And then if they lose the Duke, it doesn't necessarily become, well, Syracuse has a lot of work to do. It's okay, you lost one against Duke, but there are plenty of opportunities. That's ahead. where this whole streak started. And right. a lot of these trends have just persisted throughout it. So we're talking fouling, we're talking rebounding, we're talking defense. These are the three things that sunk the Syracuse team this year. And they are heading by all stretches of imagination to the NIT this year, where they don't know where they're going to play. <laughs> Which just adds to this season. We'll talk about more that more another time. I do want to get into um, Georgia Tech and what we expect out of them later today um, at the Carrier Dome. One of the two remaining home games before we get into March, where they're going to be traveling quite a bit. So you talk about fatigue. That's going to start to build up going to Boston, Miami, and uh, North Carolina for that ECC tournament. Um, real quick, though. I know you received a wine as a gift from one of our readers. Oh, man. This is a great story. This is like the coolest thing that's ever happened to me at Noons, and there's been a lot of cool things that have happened. Uh, so when the Dior news broke a couple Fridays ago, uh, we had gotten the post up, and you know I, I was just getting home, so I, I wrote it, and we actually interviewed uh, Dior at the Slam Summer Classic back in, the, back in August. And, you know, I, I really didn't think he was going to come to Syracuse. I just saw he was there. I was there to get Andre Jackson, and we know how that turned out. So we don't need yeah, to rehash yeah. that there. But I was there for Andre, and, you know, Dior was there, and I was like, oh, well, Syracuse offered him, and, you know, I'll see what I can get from him. So I interviewed him, and, uh, you know, he came out, and he said, you know, I like Syracuse. Um, you know, Bayheim and GMAC, they've been on me since seventh grade. Uh, so anyways, you know, get get into the real story. Uh, you know, getting that, that news up that Friday – one of our one of our readers had commented and said, you know, James, great, great news. Like, can I send you a bottle of wine? And I, I thought he was kidding. <laughs> Is he a he listener? Maybe he knows the theme around here. I don't know if he's a listener. He's definitely he's a frequent commenter on the site. I could say that. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, man, you know, if, if you're serious, like, yeah, shoot me an email. And he emailed me. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, last weekend, during the right before the Florida State game, I had someone at UPS ringing my doorbell, so I, I answered it, and uh, there it was. There was a bottle of wine that showed up on my doorstep. So that's that's really cool, man. I mean, like, great guy. You don't have to do that. You certainly don't have to, you know, go out of your way to send me something. But uh, he did say, you know, just you know, no problem, and you know, just make sure you pay it forward. And and I definitely will pay it forward in some in some fashion someday. Uh, but you know, I, I just think it's really cool. The whole news thing has been cool. The, the community we have and the readers that we have. So, uh, yeah, man, if you're listening, I don't want to say your name, but like, thank you. You didn't have to send me a bottle of wine. That was really cool. Thank you. Pinot Noir, right? Pinot Noir. It's Cardwell Hill from the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Uh, it's my favorite wine region. It's my favorite varietal. I'm a big Pinot Noir guy. So, uh, yeah, any future listeners, you want to send me some more wine, you know, just, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, Pinot Noir. I'm a big Pinot Noir guy. I'm starting to expand my horizons, um, making sure I buy a new one every time because I often lean on what I like, and you got to get yourself out there a little bit. You're a cab guy for sure. You probably like cab. I do. I love it. I had one of those in Montreal, <laughs> a California one that I really like. I think it's Robert Mondalvi or something like that. I probably screwed that up. But Monte Pulciano from Italy. Italy has a lot of low-key grapes that are really good, reds especially, and they oh, have a great really earthy flavor. Very distinct. It's it's the best wine-growing region in the world. Uh, California, Spain, I could argue. There's some up-and-comers, but Italy has a very distinct flavor that I love. I so won't fight you on it. 
All right. All right. Georgia Tech, let's get it. 7-8 in ACC. They've won 3-4. They beat Louisville. Alvarado is back, so this is not the team that we dropped 97 on. That was the most stunning game all season still, was that they came out and just hit every shot in that game and just ran the Yellow Jackets off the court. Um, One of their better road wins this year. I don't see it going quite that way. I'm sure uh, quite a few of us have picked against Syracuse as I'm going to for this game. Um, I think their defense is going to be much better. I think Syracuse's problems are just persisting at quite a rate that I don't think will change right now. And, um, you know, this team is much better than the one that we played on the road. I like how Syracuse has played on the road better than they played at home this season. Where are you on this game? I don't like wherever they've played this year. <laughs> <laughs> Neutral, oh, it doesn't matter. It's all been pretty bad. Uh, they did have a good road record for a stretch there, but that's uh, you know left a lot to be desired lately. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a different game just with Alvarado back, and that that's not the Tampa Bay's relief pitcher. That's uh, Jose Alvarado, the point guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit different of a look just because he's such a tough defender. He's gritty. You know, he's the type to get up in your shorts. Um, so I think that changes things a little bit. Uh, James Banks did not, he hasn't really played well this year. I feel like he was better last year. Maybe that's because they had, um, in guy or whatever his name was last year. Um, so I I think it's going to be a different game at home as we saw last year, you know, Georgia tech kind of came into the carrier dome with a similar makeup last year and they beat Syracuse. And I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I uh, certainly don't expect Elijah to come out and hit four threes in the first three minutes. I mean, that was kind of unparalleled. I don't, I don't think that's anything close has happened, you know, since then. Um, you know, Buddy had a great game. He poured in a career-high 26. He's been struggling a little bit lately. Uh, looked like he almost shook off the rust against Louisville, but, uh, you know, didn't really have great performance numbers-wise in the end. Uh, so we'll see. If those guys, you know, that was really the key to the win was Elijah and Buddy and just their, their hot shooting. Uh, I think it's going to be a lower-scoring game, and I think it's going to be tougher for Syracuse to score with Alvarado back. But I, I do think it's a game that Syracuse is going to end up winning. Uh, what, do, what do you think, though? Do you think they can win this game? Or Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think Georgia Tech's anything overwhelming that they should have too much trouble with. I just don't like the trends that these two teams are on. I mean, they've been amazing down there with the— um, DeVoe, their scoring guard, who has had a sensational season. I think he's 50-40-80 last time I checked for shooting from the field. So he's one of the best players in the ACC, period. That zone gives teams trouble. I mean, they haven't, they've haven't. they given up quite a few te- uh, points this year, even yep. against Louisville in that game. And uh, Wake Forest, they fought almost to the 80s. But they have the offense to make up for it, too. And honestly, Syracuse has pretty much split every matchup that they've played, too, with this year. Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Uh, I think that's the only ones that they've repeated so far. So I think that this one's going to go in this direction, too. Um, last thing before we get on to our guests in this action-packed show, Gerard has been scoring lately. I mean, he had his 30-point game. I think it was the second or third highest scoring game for a Syracuse freshman um, over this last six-game stretch. Uh, he came out firing in some of the games that Buddy struggled in, including the Florida State game where Buddy went 0-7. So he's been picking up the slack for him and playing full games since uh, Bayheim has sat Buddy for Bryson Gadine to little effect, but I'm sure the readers will be happy who want to bench Buddy whenever he struggles. Oh, so well. Gerard, we know he gambles. We know defensively he struggles, and we know he takes some wild hero shots that feed the other team's transition game, especially in Florida State. Those are some devastating ones that he took. But he's given the team steady offense. So you're leaning more on the positive or negative side. I'm a little negative because I need these guys to defend, but um, the scoring is nice. It's nice to see him finishing in the lane. He has definitely improved on that side of the ball. I, I like Joe Girard. And I, re- I really do. Uh, I admire the confidence. I admire the grit. Uh, kind of how he plays with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Uh, I-, I lean a little bit negative, though, just because, yes, he did put up points the previous week. But he took 22 shots each night. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of shot. And granted, you know, with Elijah out, I think, against NC State, like, of course he should get his shots up. Um, you know, him and Buddy, that would be the number one and the number two option, really, um, as, you know, can throw Marek in there as well. But uh, that's a lot of shots to get there. Um, he does gamble in the zone a little bit. You know, he's out of position sometimes. He overhelps sometimes. 
Uh, I don't know if that's that's a coaching thing and they want him doing that, uh, but it does seem like he does gamble a lot out there. Uh, so I, I lean more towards the negative side, but I, I do admire Gerard's confidence. Any dude that pulls up one on three for three on a, on a fast break has, has my vote, though. So although I do vote negative, I do I, I do lean the, like towards the negative way. I do admire the confidence. I really do. Jake Weingarten is with us today. He's got the scoop on uh, recruiting, not officiating, across the entire NCAA. And we have had a uh, recruiting break in Syracuse. Dior Johnson has committed over these last few weeks while we've been apart, James. So let's get the scoop on him and some other potential recruits that could change the course of this program as we get into the 2020s a little bit here. Jake is next after this break. I accidentally called the 315 number. <laughs> That'll get you. Yep. We are talking with Jake Weingarten, who I, I was telling James earlier that we've known each other for quite a while. Um, you were interested in writing for Celtics blog a while back. I remember passing on the word to Jeff and them, and uh, it just didn't end up happening. But you, man, have been putting in work these last couple of years on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, you always have the scoop when guys are visiting campus and stuff like that. So I'm glad we can finally loop you in here on the Syracuse side of things. Cause honestly, Jake, we haven't had too many recruiting successes to talk about these last four or five years. And now here we are probably the first since Tyus battle left, uh, Michigan and, um, went over to Syracuse you could have considered him a four or five borderline guy but this is the first like pure five-star guy in quite some time that Syracuse has landed in Dior Johnson and uh, it it fall game you know it's quite an advance of his eventual uh, high school graduation and moving on to college so some people are a little bit wary about that but either way Getting a guy of that status is ginormous for this program. Um, what do you think sealed the deal for Dior to make that move so early? Um, I mean, I think it was just – I think the visit really changed everything for him, to be honest. But um, super talented kid. And I, like, I'll say, like I just said, I'll say it again. I think when he visited campus, that was very big for him. And what, what he told me basically is he felt the love right when he hit it. And – I mean, like I said, that visit was big. And the fact that, you know, he went to a game like Duke and, you know, he played for the City Rocks who have such big ties. And besides that, I mean, Coach Beheim and McNamara have been at it since seventh grade. And if you know Dior, I mean, his recruitment has been a big one since he was in the seventh grade. So, I mean, winning that recruiting battle was huge. But, I mean, they did have a little bit of advantage in my end. Um, People always saw him as kind of a Syracuse lock. Um, he did have some blue blood offers, I believe, that was into the radar. But, um, I mean, seventh grade, you know, and you play for City Rocks, which Coach McNamara has ties to. I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. And Beheim actually made a little comment to Dior when he seen him, saying, you know, I've coached several point guards, and, you know, you're probably one of the best ones. So, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And that kind of stuff stands out to a point guard. So, And there's Jim Beheim. I mean, he's considered a legend by many, maybe not by some, but, I mean, I see him. <laughs> I see him. I see him it depends on the coach. game. Depends yep. who you ask. I see, him, I see him as a very high-caliber coach. Um, I covered Buddy when he was in high school, and he just comes from an amazing background. So, I mean, Dior kind of relates to that. I mean, Dior is a very family-oriented guy as far as, like, you know, teammates and, you know, who he surrounds himself with. And I think being close to home and, you know, being able to play at the highest level in the conference of champions and in the ACC, I mean, what is there to turn down, really? I mean, amazing program, legendary program, and you're close to home. So, I mean, that's something to turn, turn down, you know? Yeah, and we've seen Syracuse recruit the City Rocks guys before, obviously, you know, very close in proximity. Uh, Dior, a former City Rocks guy currently playing out in California, uh, started running with Strive for Greatness last summer. But, Jake, given given how everything's unfolded now where he is, um, you know, kind of under LeBron's wing out there and some of the Blue Blood offers that he had, are you surprised that he committed to Syracuse and are you surprised that he committed this early? No. I'm not really surprised. Um, I believe I'm the first media member to know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I started 
I started covering Dior when he was late sixth grade, early seventh grade, when he was back to Saugerty. So, I mean, um, Dior called me about a week before or right after the visit and said, you know, I, I think I'm feeling this. Like, I, I think this is where I want to go. And something like that doesn't really surprise me. Um, Dior made a comment the other day, you know, I don't want to be with the Blue Bloods. I want to beat them. And something like that. He's a competitor. And, and the fact that, you know, he'll be able to compete against a Duke and a North Carolina, depending on Kentucky, I mean, that kind of stuff is that, – that reads Dior Johnson. That's what he is. So he's a competitor. He's a dog. And, I mean, I'm not surprised. And I think that depending on what – I don't really know what the future holds, but I really think he wants to play at Syracuse for a year at least. This is the comment that drove everybody crazy in a good way. When he committed, he said he's going to bring other people with him. Uh-huh. Um, there yep. was there were quite there were quite a few recruits in the house that night. Um, you know, uh, I think most prominently among them was Cruz, and mm-hmm. I'm 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 interested to see if he's able to follow up on that and what kind of work he's going to do. He has quite a bit of time. He's a class of 2022 guy before he gets here, but. Who do you think are potential guys that he could bring along and who uh, have interest in Syracuse right now? Um, honestly, Zion Cruz is the name. I mean, the East Coaster. Um, him and Dior have been going back and forth at Hoop Group and, you know, all those camps for the past few years since they've been in middle school. And I think that's the main guy. And um, there's been guys that, I mean, I've seen Dior been quote-tweeting a lot of guys as Syracuse has mentioned with them. Dior's on him hard. I mean, I think that he might be able to snag another five-star. I mean, East Coast guys, Justice Williams, um, Jalen Duran. I mean, he might be able to target some of these guys that, you know, are closer to Syracuse and that, you know, have an offer from Syracuse. But, you know, hearing from a fellow five-star, especially someone with Dior's caliber, that, you know, Syracuse might be a good move, then, I mean, that's something they're going to look into. And, I think that's kind of the good thing about him committing early is if he does opt to play at Syracuse, he could pick who's around him, and he has all the time in the world to do that. You know, he's heading into the, his junior year, and that's a that's a prime year when it comes to recruiting. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see what he can get done. But I, I believe if he stays, I mean, I think a bunch of guys can come join him. Now, Jake, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but Syracuse fans can be a pretty sensitive and insecure bunch at times. And I think Syracuse fans are still a little hurt over the Darius Baisley situation. And yep. they think Dior and they know 2022 is far off and there's a lot that could change between now and then. Uh, but do you think Dior will, will honor that commitment and eventually end up at Syracuse? Obviously, the NBA, there's talk about repealing the one-and-done rule. Uh, but do you, do you see him following through and, and eventually going to Syracuse? Yeah, like I said, I don't know what the future holds. And like you said, 2022 is far enough, so I mean, but I wouldn't be worried if I'm a Syracuse fan. Dior's a man of his word. He's a loyal guy. And he said it himself, he, he wants to play at the carrier dome. He wants to play at home. You know, he wants to play at the highest level, and that's what he'd be getting there. I think I think if it's not Syracuse, it's the NBA. And I, I wouldn't be worried about that commitment. Um, I just really think it all depends on the NBA rule and all that kind of stuff because where it stands now, if that rule isn't changed, he's a lottery pick. So, I mean, it really all depends on that rule. But as far as colleges, I think he's he's all Syracuse. The biggest talk in the NBA is that heat pick in 2021 because it's changed hands three or four times now. And everybody thinks that that could be the year that one and done is repealed. I've heard that that's a little optimistic on that end of things. And judging by the fact that both the ACC and NCAA say they're going to talk about things before we actually see any movement, um, I'd gear on the longer end of that thing. Maybe 2022 will be the year. 2023 would be more ideal with this Dior situation. I don't think we can know when one and done is going to be repealed but you say this guy is absolutely a lottery pick even if he uh, came out of high school he is that high level of a player huh yeah I mean I've seen him play so many times and it's just his vision on the floor he's, he knows everything before it's going to happen such a quick guard he's an athlete obviously um, my favorite part of his game is his ability to drive to the rim and it, he doesn't really care who's in front of him it could be Imani Bates in front of him 
and that doesn't that doesn't intimidate him. So he's like I said, he's a dog on the floor, and you know he's just such a great player, and he'd be perfect in the ACC. Last question from my end is, you know, we know Dior is obviously playing out in California now, and we we know that, you know, he's he's from Kingston, he's got a lot of East Coast ties, but. Is there anybody from the West Coast that would be interested in coming to Syracuse, or do, does he have any ties in the West Coast? Or is is that a situation that could play um, out? <laughs> um, well, you know, Dior has his ties out there right now. Um, you know, maybe this is very, very unlikely, but I was always, <laughs> of, I was always thinking, of, I was always thinking of the scenario: could he bring Bronny? But I mean, yeah, that would, that would, that would obviously never happen. But um. Ronnie's tweeting out two pictures and stuff. Now huh? that uh, now that Dior's at at Syracuse, you know, committed to Syracuse, I think that you know more West Coast offers will start going out. And thing I notice is you know Bayheim doesn't really just throw offers out there. You know, if he doesn't think they've got a shot at somebody, like you look at a guy like Kennedy Chandler, like offered him, you know, went to see him and brought him in for an official. They didn't make the cut, but you know, I think that was more of like depending on when he's coming in and people still think there's a slight chance that he could move up a year. I doubt it happens. Like it's just rumors, but um, I mean, Bayheim doesn't really just throw offers. And I think, you know, Dior will be like a little insider for how, how whatever this He's going to be a little insider for Bayheim, you know, kind of get a peep of what guys want to be, you know, interested or get intrigued from Syracuse and, I think we're going to, you know, be another recruiter here. I'd definitely say that more West Coast offers will go out, you know. Another guy is Amari Bailey, um, Sky Clark. These are all guys that are five stars that have ties to Dior. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they started getting looked at by Syracuse. But um, Dior has only been in the West Coast for less than a year. So I think the focus, will, like I said, will be on Zion Cruz and, you know, guys in the 21 class as well. So, I think, yeah, that, that's what it'll be. <laughs> There's nothing Jim Bayheim and LeBron James are like this now. <laughs> Two fingers crossed. <laughs> that, is, that is the future of the LeBron James dynasty. Um, one more thing, Zion Cruz, uh, he was up there at Syracuse for that Duke game. I saw both of them on the baseline there, or not the baseline, the sideline behind um, the scorer's table, uh, just attracting a ton of attention. Uh, Patrick Tepay, the Columbia transfer, was there that night as well. It was just a massive night when it came to the recruits, and these were all guys that Syracuse could use to get back to that top echelon of college basketball. Um, what would Zion Cruz bring to the Orange if he was to commit within uh, the next year or so? Um, I mean, he just like Dior, he'd bring that dog in him. I mean, he's from New Jersey, he's a East Coast guy. He's got that dog in him. He's nice. He's nice looking athlete, dynamic two way guard. I mean, him and Dior. I mean, that would be that'd be something special. And then plug in what they could potentially get in 2021. Um, you know, Mac was there also, the 2021 kid. Um, and I mean, they could build something special there. It's just all about keeping those kids that are from the East Coast, keeping them closer to Syracuse and, you know, keeping that recruitment going. But, I mean, I think Jim Beheim will figure it out. I mean, he's got a nice-looking team. You know, Quincy is great. You know, Buddy's great. There's some young guys on this team that, you know, if they plug in the right guys and recruit the right guys, I mean, they can compete again. So, James, before we let Jake go, I'll throw this one at you because this is what everyone's thinking now. And, um, of course, it's valid because uh, Jim Beheim has been coaching 44 years now. By the time uh, Dior arrives, it'll be 46. Buddy Beheim will have graduated. Um, what does this mean from a coaching perspective, you think? Because Dior has committed to Bayheim, of course, uh, GMAC as well. We're not sure what the coaching succession plan is. I don't even think Bayheim has thought about it at this point after uh, the Hopkins thing fell through. But w- what does this make you think when it comes to the coaching position at, for the 2022-23 season? Uh, one, that's a great setup by you. Two, I've always said and I maintain that Jim Beheim does not strike me as the kind of guy that's just going to walk away from this whole thing. That was even before the Dior commitment. I've always said that he was going to try to coach after Buddy left, and I think this is only more reason to stay around. Uh, So I think even after Buddy leaves, when you have a talent like that, perhaps even more to add, it's just going to give you more reason to want to stay and to continue to coach. So I I think that Jim Beheim is going to want to coach. Obviously, we don't know what can happen. 
a lot can change even from now to next year, uh, let alone a few years down the road. Uh, but barring uh, barring something unforeseen, I think Jim Beheim is going to want to stick. Anything to add there, Jake? Um, I mean, like I said before, it really all depends who they can recruit. I mean, if you got Dior by himself in 2022, is that is that intriguing enough for Beheim? You know, to say, you know, let me give him one more year. And like you said, he hasn't really thought about any of that yet. So I mean, he could go till 50 years. I mean. You never know, but I really do think it all depends. <laughs> it all depends. He could go forever. Exactly. He can, he can maybe even six years, but um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really does all depend who Dior surround himself with. Because at this point, if Dior stays, that's their best. That's their best chance at competing for a national championship in the next few years is when that team comes around. You know, when the 2021 kids and Woody Newton and the 2020 kids and the 2022 kids, when those kids, you know, get to Syracuse, uh, I mean, I think that's when it gets real because having a five-star on your team, even if it's one, and you never know who Dior is going to bring, that could make a big difference. How do you how do you like this incoming class for Syracuse with Newton and um, the guard there? Kadari Richmond. Kadari Richmond, yeah. I mean, I've seen both of them play. I, I saw Kadari Richmond play about five times this season. The last time I saw him play – um, was at the PSA showcase in December, and I was impressed. I mean, he wasn't on the floor that much, whether it was foul trouble or, I mean, Terrence Clark was just completely going off. And um, But I love Kadari Richmond. He scores the ball really well. Woody Newton scores the ball really well. He committed kind of early, in my opinion. But um, I like both of their games. I think they'll plug in really well with Buddy and Quincy and those guys. And I think next year will be a winning season for Syracuse. He is Jake Weingarten. I've been amazed watching him grow, and I'm wildly impressed with the work he continues to do at StockRisers.com. You can follow him at Jake Weingarten with a T. Uh, Jake, it was awesome to finally have you on a show, and of course you're on to another basketball game. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jake. That is some good stuff there today, and we are on to Saturday when Syracuse is going to play Georgia Tech. James, great show here, power-packed show. Uh, Finally, awesome to reunite here on the same page this week, and we will go again late next week. It's uh, Georgia Tech, and then who's right after Georgia Tech next week? Is it Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh on Wednesday, yep. So they're heading to Pittsburgh on Wednesday. We'll see where the season stands, but doesn't that, oh, all that stuff just makes you feel a little bit better about suffering through this season, doesn't it? Oh, you got something to look forward to. Potentially everybody back next year. We know that's probably not going to happen, but should be another, you know, bubble season perhaps next year. Uh, but yeah, certainly after this season, you got a little bit more to look forward to. Potentially everybody back next year. And you got recruits possibly more on the way uh into 2022 this fan base needed it (laughs) and hopefully they'll receive it in the end 2022 is a long way off but thanks to jake uh thanks to james zuba by my side here Uh, you can subscribe to troy noons as an absolute podcast here john and dan early in the week and james and i later on next week this is the syracuse basketball podcast i am bobby manning and enjoy the game tonight signing off